In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Over the years, Disney Theatrical Productions has brought a number of classic Disney animated films to the stage, among them Beauty and the Beast, Hercules, The Little Mermaid, and more. And most recently, they've been experimenting with Hercules, the 1997 film that may not have been a huge hit, but certainly gained a huge cult following over the years. In 2019, the production uh, emerged, so to speak, as a tryout in Central Park, and it served as a a little testing ground for a show that would ultimately become uh, much more of a traditional uh, Broadway-style show, albeit at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. Most recently, it performed for just about a month. Uh, Paper Mill Playhouse, of course, is that venue that often serves as a, uh, a real experimental place for shows before they may make it to Broadway. Some don't. Some uh, kind of transform into other iterations and, and go to other venues. And Hercules uh, has had a, kind of a, a rocky road, of course, because it did take several years from that Central Park production uh, to now because of the pandemic and and other factors, to be sure. And who saw this show recently? None other than the winner of Notably Disney Tunes and Quotes Trivia, author Matthew Hodge. Uh, he wrote cool, Co- cool Cats and a Hot Mouse, which focuses on Disney and jazz. He's been on the podcast several times, my best friend. And I was supposed to see the show with Matt, but alas, I came down with a series of bad illnesses that prevented me from making it out to the Big Apple in New Jersey. So uh, nonetheless, Matt saw the show and has a number of thoughts that you will soon hear. So I'm going to welcome him on as we disentangle everything Hercules. Disney's 1997 animated feature Hercules may not have been a breakout success when it debuted, especially after 
huge hits like Aladdin and the Lion King years earlier, but it's developed quite the fan base and, and cult uh, group status uh, over the years. Uh, people love the songs and the storyline, the zaniness, the unique style and flair of the film. And after more than 25 years, it has come to the stage, uh, specifically at the Paper Mill Playhouse. We are recording today uh, during the show's run, although by the time this episode will have aired, the show will have actually just closed at the Paper Mill Playhouse. It will soon be going to Germany next year for a run there. So again, this is Disney's Hercules. And how do they call it on the playbill? It's called the mythical musical adventure and today joining me on notably disney who saw the show uh, one of the handful of people to catch it during its limited run at the paper mill playhouse uh, is author matthew hodge he is a past uh, i should say a returning guest to the podcast and uh, very notably on notably disney the winner of the uh, recent final round of Tunes and Quotes trivia. There will probably be more trivia to be had uh, on the podcast, perhaps with some new folks as well. And I'm glad to have Matt here on the show to discuss his experiences in seeing Hercules at the Paper Mill Playhouse and uh, how we can make sense of, of this show and, and what its future may be as well. Matt, thanks for being on here today. Hi, thanks for having me back. I love being on the podcast. Glad you're here. Well, originally I was supposed to see Hercules as well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my body acted against me. I came down uh, with a really bad illness, so I couldn't make it out to uh, the New York City area. But Matt, you were lucky enough to see Hercules. But let's first orient listeners to why you were excited to see the show. What's your connection to the film? Um, yeah, I got to see the show t- uh, two nights ago. Um, gosh, what's my connection to the film? Well, uh, personally and professionally, Disney is always a big part of my life. So I'm a, a professor of music and theater um, at a university in Raleigh. And I've also published books that are related to um, to music and Disney and theater um, and film. And so... Uh, that stems because I personally also love those things. So I love music. I love movies. I love theater. I love Disney. I'm a huge, you know, Disney fan my whole life. Uh, so when I get to experience things like this, I go in wearing multiple different hats of, okay, as a, as a professional adult, who's a professor of these things, how do I uh, enjoy it and look at it? And then also just as a personal uh, uh, human that, can fanboy over Disney. I love it as well. Um, Hercules, I remember when, uh, because of my age, like it was towards the latter part of the Renaissance. And I remember that era with like Hercules and Tarzan where I, I kind of went through the phase of like being a little too cool for uh, Disney a little bit because um, my Renaissance was very much like Little Mermaid being the Beast of Aladdin. So I remember when Hercules came out, I think I saw it in the theaters, but I don't remember it being hugely um, like fanning over it like I did the other ones. But then I rewatched it a lot as a teenager and as I got older, and then I learned to like it. And I've always said with Hercules, it's, it's not at all one of my favorite Disney movies. Um, 
because I don't think it holds up to other masterpieces. But I, I have always said I do think it's one of the best musical soundtracks of any Disney movie. Um, I think it has some of the best music in the entire Disney canon. Um, so I do think there's a ton of strength to it, even though I wouldn't say Hercules is, you know, the the beacon of Disney masterpiece. I think there's tons of potential and there's some great characters and a fantastic score um, and opportunities. I remember even when I first watched it, appreciating the diversity on the screen, how um, the representation of women were a little different, like Princess um the, the modern humor in it, but also married Greek mythology because I'm a huge fan of mythology. Uh, so there's a lot of things about Hercules I love, even though I wouldn't say it's, you know, the greatest thing Disney ever created. Um, I, I am one of the people that was very excited that they were bringing it to the stage because I think it does deserve a place on the stage. Well, and, I, and I'm wondering what your specific expectations were of the show coming in. Mind you, this is not a production on Broadway. Paper Mill Playhouse, for listeners who are mm-hmm. unacquainted, is a testing ground of sorts for shows that may or may not make it to uh, the Big Apple in, in that way. Uh, <laughs> but what, what was what were you uh, anticipating uh, based on the buzz that you had been hearing, based on your... Um, you know, connection to an um, interest in the film more broadly. Yeah, I went in with pretty high expectations, but also realistic expectations. Um, it, uh, it hasn't been on Broadway, but it did this version um, three, four years ago in 2019. It was first created with the public theater in New York. I didn't get to see that. I saw some clips. Um, from the clips that I saw and what I read about that, production it seemed like then the this version that i saw two nights ago was that version but a little bit of a 2.0 um so it's sort of like i guess maybe the second round of a a draft of it um you know paper mill playhouse is a is a uh, for regional uh, theater very prestigious has an amazing history um a lot of fantastic shows started there um, but I also understand the reality of when you workshop something out of the city, which is why so many Broadway shows that are on Broadway now, they uh, are sometimes very different than how they started in their out-of-town tryout. I don't know if if this was a step towards Broadway. Of course, everyone uh, is um, has a theory that that's what Disney is slowly working on. Like, do they imagine this could end up on Broadway one day? Um, so I did sort of view it through that lens. Um, but uh, I did go in with high expectations just because it's not Disney's first rodeo with this, even with working with that theater to premiere something. It's not the first time they put Hercules on a stage um, where it was reviewed by critics and public. Um, but I also know the realities of the thing will get shifted and changed. I wasn't expected to be perfect and Broadway ready. Um, I was expecting... Uh, you know, I was expecting some greatness, but also having prepared to give a lot of forgiveness for the growing pains of shows that um, get workshopped out of town. And and you mentioned that Disney has experimented with shows in this venue before. So prime examples would be Hunchback of Notre Dame, 
which ultimately didn't mm-hmm. go to Broadway, but it still had a successful run there and in San Diego as well. And then Newsies, which ultimately was such a breakout hit and made it to Broadway and not only made it to Broadway, but uh, yeah. it went beyond that limited run. Yeah, and Paper Mill Playhouse um, recently won the Tony Award that they hand out for regional theater. Um, I think it was 2015, 2016, like it was within the last decade. Um, so there's in the theater world, that theater is uh, very well known and beloved and, and um, has set a precedent for quality. And this was my first time getting to go see a show at uh, Paper Mill Playhouse, which was one of the, besides seeing Hercules on stage and how Disney would do that. I was really excited to do that because um, I, uh, when I go to the city, I usually stay in this within the city. And so I just see Broadway and off-Broadway stuff. And so I talk a lot about shows that have started at Paper Mill, but I haven't um, gotten to experience the theater firsthand. So that was a double excitement for me that I was just as equally excited about as seeing Hercules was getting finally to experience firsthand that theater. For sure. I, I know uh, it's uh, quite a unique venue and uh, you know, do you have, so where were you, where were your seats? Where were you sitting in the theater? Um, uh, I don't remember the row. I was on the ground. I was on the orchestra. Um, I I wasn't in the center, but I was on the very end of the right side of it. So I felt like I had really great seats when I sat down to my seat. I remember thinking, oh, this seat is is better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I was very uh, pleased with it. And I, and I was impressed with the layout of the theater. I mean, I knew what the layout of it was. I had seen pictures of the theater, but um, it felt big and small at the same time, which was great. It felt like one of those theaters when I looked around that uh, most of the seats would be great seats. There weren't seats that had horrible views. Um, so, uh, but I, my particular seat, I really thought I had a great seat and it was even better than what I thought it would be from just seeing the chart when I ordered it. Well, I'm glad you had a good vantage point And I know there's a lot to discuss and a lot that, you have not shared with me. All I basically knew was that you had uh, strong opinions of the show. So I am eager to hear <laughs> uh, what that entails exactly. C- before we go into perhaps the music, can can you just focus on, you know, the, as a whole, the production? Uh, in what ways was the story uh, taking new directions from what we saw in the animated film? What what was the general tone and flavor of the of the show and in concert with the narrative? Um, so without getting into a lot of the specifics that I, I assume we're going to get into, I would say in general, um, it's, it stays very um, dedicated to the film. Um, all the characters that are in the film are, are in the stage production and in ways that you assume they will be. Um, I will say, oh, well, and I guess we should say spoiler alerts because I'm going to give a lot of spoiler alerts. But like you said, the show will be closed by the time this airs. <laughs> and who knows if it'll be the same version the next time it's on stage. Um, Pegasus is nowhere to be seen and not even uh, hinted at. Um, so I know some people love Pegasus. Like that's their, their beloved character from the movie. So that was a little disappointing. 
Um, of course, I understand, you know, the logistics of how do you get a flying horse on the stage, but uh, that was nowhere to be seen. Um, but Pegasus was, if my memory serves me correctly, the only character in the original film that doesn't have a presence. There are quite a bit of new characters that are added, but they're not added as main characters. They're added as B characters. So, it, um, and, and there's different examples of those, which I'll get into more when I get to like the specific uh, critiques about it. Um, but in general, it, it definitely, uh, it didn't stray far from the path. It's the movie you assumed it would be. Of course, they have to expand it into, you know, two plus hours. So they added more music. There's more reprises. Um, uh, you know, some of the scenes are a little more elongated. But in general, the plot points, the, the characters, how you assume the story and the characters, purpose and that will be it, it's very simple this is not an example of disney really turning its film on its head and doing so, and um, like really twisting it and changing it up for the stage it, it's very much hercules the movie on stage 2.0 oh i'm disappointed to hear pegasus wasn't in the mix but that doesn't surprise I know, me given- I know. they they have they have one t- I, I think it's Hercules that says it. They had they make one little comment within a scene about a flying horse, and I took that as like the one sort of wink wink nudge to Pegasus. But the way it landed, uh, I didn't like how it landed. Um, so I was a little, uh, I was surprised that there wasn't any more of a, a fun insinuation of Pegasus if you're not going to actually have the character to have a bit more of a, a tip of the hat to the character because it's so beloved. Um, but it's sort of like, it reminded me of, you know, Abu is not in Aladdin, um, and Abu was very much a beloved animal sidekick. So I understood it, but I was, I was expecting some, uh, a bit more of a, of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge about Pegasus that we didn't get. Gotcha. Well, I don't really know where we start with the show in terms of what we dive into. <laughs> Do, I mean, we could talk about... The, yeah. the the visuals, the artistry, the the set pieces, the scenery, the dancing, the singing, the acting, yeah. the new songs. All where where do you want to begin? I I feel like you, I maybe in my mind in my mind it, there are it's two very distinct lists of what do I think we're strengths and what do I think we're weaknesses. Um, spoiler alert: I think my list of weaknesses is about four times longer than the strength, um, I, uh, which we'll get into. Um, so I don't know, we can do it topic by topic or we can do it more of like the, the positives first, like what were the strengths yeah. of it and then what were the weaknesses? Um, so why don't we talk push. about the strengths? Yeah, and, and I wanna preface this because this is, as uh, you know me, Brett, that I, um, in my personal life, I don't love critics and I'm always the person like, I don't care what the critics say, I'm gonna go see that movie or I'm, you know, critics are always hating what I love. So I preface all this by saying, uh, you know, you can probably guess from my tone um, and what I've hinted at that I don't have a lot of, uh, I, I was uh, pretty disappointed in the show, which we're gonna get into specifically all the reasons why, but I'm the first person to acknowledge that I don't want this to, um, like, if you really want to go see the show, please go see it. If you saw it and loved it, fantastic. Ignore everything I'm going to say 
Like I am not one of those academics that put a ton of eggs in the basket of critics because I often disagree with critics. So everything I'm going to say is just my personal opinion, um, my perception, but I am not at all saying, you know, if you loved it, that you don't have taste. And if you <laughs> don't, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, don't go see it. Critics are completely subjective and I constantly disagree with critics. So right. uh, I'm not um, viewing myself as a critic. I'm viewing it like a, like someone who teaches this stuff and is a fanboy of this stuff that, you know, what are sort of my interpretations as just an audience member who bought a ticket. Right. Well, and I think it's worth emphasizing that latter point that yes, you're a fan of the film and a, and a Disney connoisseur and the author of a book on Disney and jazz music. And certainly there's a little bit of that flavor yeah. in Hercules to be sure, but yeah. you are also a musical theater professor who has not only seen many dozens of, of shows, but put them on as well. And you're a, an individual who uh, teaches music theory and can dive into how is, how are songs yeah. constructed. So you, you have that lens, which actually adds a, a strong degree of credibility in terms of your interpretation of this production in concert with being a Disney fan. Well, thank you. And I, I, I went into the show really rooting for it. I am not someone who, uh, I know a lot of people who view Disney's presence on Broadway in a cynical way, especially now that they have multiple, um, you know, at one point they had three and there's, you know, the sort of stereotype of like, oh, Disney's taking over Broadway, like how commercial. Um, I don't believe that at all because I think Disney is such an amazing canon and each of their films are such unique stories with unique sounds and tones and what. So I didn't um, I didn't go into this at all rolling my eyes with like, oh, here we go again. I was uh, very much rooting and very excited for this because I do think Hercules um, has the potential to be a fantastic stage show, even more than other Disney properties that, have been turned into the state shows already. So that's why I think I, I walked out even more disappointed because I didn't start with uh, uh, being a cynic. I really was like rooting for this. I came in like applauding and cheering all the way like, oh my gosh, I want this to be so fantastic. Well, and it and it so wasn't. Much. It wasn't, but let's let's start <laughs> it, out. It, it, it wasn't. Let's start yes. out with the so let's, so let's first yeah, so the strings. Okay. Um, so the in general, the muses, which I think is something that people think of Hercules, and, and when you go and see the show, like you really have a lot of thoughts about the muses. It's called Hercules, but a lot of people argue like it's all about the muses. Um, and in some ways it is, and they were fantastic. Um, and, and I will say this is sort of a blanket statement, especially when we get to the criticism part. All of my criticisms that I have have nothing to do with the cast. Everyone in the cast was uber talented. Everyone everyone did their job on stage well. What they were told to do, what their lines were, what their lyrics were, what their blocking singing, they all did it well. So none of my critiques are um, like, they didn't carry the ball over the, the finish, you know? Um, so the muses, in general, were fantastic. There are some of the things that I didn't like how they were treated later on in the show, um, but they're in general fantastic. Obviously, they sound amazing. They have their entrance was fantastic, like the the technical aspects of it, um, and the muses were especially in like the first 
25% of the show are exactly what you want them to be and then some. So they really do steal the show every time they're on stage. And they're on stage a lot. Um, they definitely are are increased in, in presence. They're on stage probably more than anyone else's. Hey, Matt. Um, and Meg. Hey, Matt, yeah. can I just chime in because I want to ask, were, were the muses in Oh, yes. Were the muses interacting with other characters or were they just strictly in the background kind of narrating and giving context? No, they are the one, they were the one people that could sort of break the fourth wall. They often, they were staged in very much of like, we are the narrators to you, the audience telling you the story you're viewing. So a ton of their stuff was towards the audience, but they also... Um, were part of the scenes and they were part of the jokes and they even had costume changes that went with stuff on the scene uh, in the scene. Um, uh, so it was more of like they were part of the scene and, and sometimes the characters kind of saw them and interacted with them. So they were, you know, they were sort of these celestial spiritual guides <laughs> um, that are there for the audience, but sometimes the actors would interact but they definitely weren't staged in a way of like they're backgrounded they're just in their corner they were all over the stage and all over the sets and very much uh physically a part of the scenes awesome no thanks for the context uh, yeah yeah and their their music was very much arranged um uh, even you know 2.0 of what the film is so they're doing tons of amazing singing and harmonies and every octave and every kind of riff you could want and um, you know, so they, they had a lot of great stuff. Um, Meg, I think, is by far the best character in it. Um, I really, really liked her. I didn't have hardly any disappointments with her, except what I wanted more of from the story. But she was fantastic. Um, her, her new music that she gets is a great song. Uh, she Her character has a great balance of the silliness and also the you know, weight of the drama of the storyline. Um, so she, she stole every scene she was in too. Um, and then the most, from a, from a performance perspective, the most surprising thing that, uh, that I found was uh, Pain and Panic were fantastic. I almost walked out of there thinking they stole the whole show. Um, even though they're sidekicks, they are in it a lot. They're in it as much as Hades is. Um, and like when they're on stage, they still every single scene and they have a lot more to do and they have a lot of interesting banter. Um, so they're, they're fantastic. Um, so from a character perspective, the muses are great in general. Um, I'll get to eventually why, what I didn't love, what they turned into, but they started off really strong and they sound amazing. And then the characters of Meg, Pain and Panic are great. Um, the one new character that they added that I really loved was Hercules' mom. They they made it a, a mom, like a single mom, um, and she's a big part of the opening. And the they, human uh, mom, Matt? Human mom? A human mom, yes. Not, not Hera. Um, I will say Hera is, um, in general, the females are much more elevated. Hera is just as big of a character as Zeus is in this one, which is really great. Um, Hercules' mom is a very strong character in the beginning, um, and then she comes back at the end. Meg is 
a fantastic character. Of course, the muses are also fantastic. So I did love that. Not only do we see diversity on stage where um, I would say probably 90% of the people were uh, the cast were all people of color, but also the female representation of what's happening on stage is a lot. Um, we're just as invested in the female characters as the male characters. And, and with Zeus and Hera, I would even... I would even argue Hera is maybe even a bit of a bigger character, even though they come out a lot as a duo. Um, I will say the tech, my favorite tech of the show was Hera and Zeus. They they come out quite a bit um, when he when Hercules is talking to them, um, and they they have this really beautiful tech where they're where they're the quote unquote statues that come to life of themselves. That was really beautifully done. And I love that. Um, the tech of the monsters were good. I uh, My criticisms of that are, are going to be how they were blocked. But in terms of the mechanics and the look of them, especially Hydra and the Titans at the end, um, the puppetry and the, the animatronics of them were fantastic. Really, really beautifully designed. Um, I think those are sort of my my big strengths. Walking, Phil, Phil does a good job uh, for what he's written to do. Um, uh, his music was great. He sounds fantastic. Uh, his his new song is really fun. It's sort of the big opener to Act Two. Um, again, so uh, my issues I had with Phil weren't the actor's fault. It was the way the thing was written. But he performed Phil really well. He had a lot of fantastic comedic relief. Um, and, and, also, and it did come off here. Matt, I just want to interrupt uh, for a second. I, so it's also yeah. James Monroe Iglehart who won the Tony yes. for playing Genie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he does with Phil what he does with Genie. I mean, it is very genie Esque, but he does that really, really well. So his new song that he has is is sort of like "Friend Like Me," and a lot of his comedic one-liners is very much genie esque. Um, you know, he's he's basically the same version of the funny sidekick that also has a heart invested in the main guy, but he could also be wacky and out there. Um, but I didn't mind it. I mean, you know, I definitely watched it thinking you're being genie again. It's just <laughs> genie as Phil, uh, but he's extremely lovable and personable and does a great job of having heart in comedy. So I, I didn't, uh, didn't mind it, even though it felt a little copied and pasted because he was fantastic as the genie. He was the best part of the Aladdin production. So, um, you know, I think that's why some people like me may have been a little disappointed with what they did with Phil because you have someone like him playing that role and the potential of what could have been, <laughs> you know, um, thinking of all, all the great stuff that the genie gets to do. Phil is sort of like that, but kind of in like genie's shadow. Okay. Good to know. Bit. Yeah. But to, if I would, to sum up all the strengths, I would say in general, the cast on stage were 
uber, uber talented. And of course, if you read all their bios, like they all come from Broadway and tours, and most of them seem to also come from the Disney family. Like a lot of them have done Disney workshops or off-Broadway or Broadway stuff before, um, which was great. Uh, so the cast, everyone was really talented and everyone did their job on stage really well. I didn't have any issues with the cast executing what I think they were told to execute. All of my issues come from what they were told to execute. Um, but the cast was fantastic. Um, and I was really shocked. Uh, I, I knew Meg would be strong, um, and I was glad she was strong, and I was shocked how much I loved Pain and Panic. Because I don't really love them that much in the film. I find them a lot more annoying than other villain sidekicks, but in this show, Pain and Panic like really stole the show for me in a lot of spots. And they got the biggest audience reactions out of any character, besides the, the muses' first entrance. Well, good to know. A couple of side notes before you shift to discuss the, the flip side of the coin. Any thoughts of the costumes, the set pieces, the the aesthetics? Um, yes, that's in my uh, list okay. of things I didn't love. Okay. Um, I, I will say, uh, so the aesthetics, I, like I said, I loved how they did. There's basically three, um, three big scenes with monsters. The first one is um, Nessus. Um, that one I didn't love. I mean, the the style of it is, uh, it was a little too cartoony for my age, but it was beautifully built. Hydra, the three-headed snake thing, that was uh, very, very cool and, and very beautifully designed. Um, and the Titans at the end were also really beautiful artistry in it. Um, and the set, the parts of the set that I did love was when it was trying to be Greece. So there were quite a few beautiful set moments where there's columns and the stars um, or, 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 oh, the underworld. You don't actually, you don't get to the, the main part of the underworld until the very, very end. And when they did it, it was beautiful. And I was like, why didn't we see this earlier? Like that was the most beautiful scene with the, the river of souls and whatnot. Um, you don't get that till the very end, but that was also beautiful. So if we were in the underworld, or we were in actual real Greece. Those were beautiful set pieces. Good to know. Shall we transition to <laughs> perhaps the underworld? <laughs> yes, we can. Before we do that, do you have any other like uh, thoughts or things I talked about with Strengths. I wish that you had gotten to see it. I, I I know you were so excited to get to see it. And I hated that you didn't get to. I know. I know. Um, no, I think you give a lot of good perspective on. So the the takeaway here is that the strengths were that you have a, a talented cast who you know at the top of their game, but not not necessarily given the strongest material to work with. Great tech and and scenery um, in some spaces. Those were among the more significant strengths here so let's let's shift over to what didn't work <laughs> and I, I know we're going to go into so let me ask that. you yes please yeah uh, yeah uh, we're going to go into every aspect of the show <laughs> it was, we don't have three hours that so we'll um, have to be succinct i know i know i know but uh, let me ask you to get you as part of the conversation because i know that you all 
also love Hercules. And if you had gotten to go, you would have walked in with a lot of expectations and you love Disney Broadway too. What would you, uh, what would you, um, what would you have not wanted to have seen? Like what would have really disappointed you? Like in your mind of what would your idea, idea be of them really messing this up? You know, that's a good question. For and I'll, and I'll, yeah, yeah. So I would counter with saying that I don't love Hercules. I, I enjoy it. I think it's one of the weaker films of that era, um, mostly by virtue of the narrative and the tone, which just doesn't, it, it doesn't work for me as effectively as Aladdin, for instance, which you know you have the same filmmakers behind the scenes for that and and the same composer um, for that matter and in, in Alan Menken. But I think what would have really disappointed me uh, not knowing anything going in is just the notion of tonal inconsistencies, right? Because I think Hercules is, is meant to be a very zany um, and just silly production that's complemented by this really deep notion of you know uh, perseverance and and working hard and and you know bringing honor to us all so to speak with uh, not necessarily <laughs> Mulan but but there's he's not the most dynamic leading character but he certainly carries with him a, a good deal of heart um, so I think what would have bothered me going in is if I felt like it was wildly out of tune in terms of the the message and and how it's delivered and i think some shows are a mixed bag that's why with with the broadway version of aladdin i can't say i i loved it i thoroughly enjoyed it but you know i we've talked at length about how the additions of aladdin's friends don't offer much how jafar's song is kind of weak there there were a number of additions to aladdin that that didn't strengthen the already great foundation but rather just uh, were disorienting and and did not um, honor the integrity of, of what the film offers. So that probably would have been the the biggest disappointment for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I would also say too, um, in in tandem with that, what would have really bothered me is the addition of songs that don't drive the narrative. That's always my biggest frustration with films that are musicals that where you have some pieces of music that do not propel the storyline and are really just filler. And I think that's the biggest challenge for many uh, people working in this space is you have to fill additional time, but are you actually expanding on the, the established um, ground that the original team has created? And in this case, we do have uh, Alan Menken and David Zippel uh, returning um, in the music and lyrics, but yeah. I don't know if, if you have any yeah. thoughts on, on my interpretations there. No, I agree with a lot of what, um, what you said. I think we both view it the same way. We both acknowledge like Hercules is not the best thing Disney's done. It's not the worst thing Disney's done. Um, and, and Disney definitely, you know, when it comes to like what actually makes it to Broadway, because Disney has produced quite a few productions that whenever made it to Broadway or meant for a Broadway stage, which is fine because um, there's a whole world of theater besides New York City Broadway. Um, but, you know, they do, uh, they've done enough now to prove of 
you know, just because you do something based on a blockbuster movie like Aladdin, for example, that doesn't mean it or Frozen, um, it doesn't mean it's going to be killer. Um, you know, the way like the height that Lion King reached or Beauty and the Beast. Um, and they've proven you can take something something like Newsies where no one would have ever thought, you know, like that movie was a bomb and, you know, it's a cult classic, but, you know, people don't think of Newsies when they think of Disney. And for that to become like one of the best things Disney ever produced on stage. Um, and so even though I don't think they ever like officially announced that, you know, this is a pathway of Hercules, we're trying to get it to the Broadway stage. Alan Minkin has said in interviews over the years that he has used the word Broadway, like as a goal for, for Hercules. And the fact that this is now the second time they've done this within a couple of years in New York in two different aspects, and now it's going to go to Germany. I walked in there with that sort of lens in mind of, I don't think this is just meant for this one time fun thing. Like they're really trying to invest in the show to see what sort of future path does this show have? And could that lead to Broadway? And so that, so a lot of the, my criticisms are from that lens of that's what your goal was to see how far can we elevate this piece? Then, you know, that's the perspective I came in with it of how to watch it. Okay. So. That's all helpful. Shall we transition to what was yes. not quite <laughs> in the success category? Okay. So uh, I think at first I can just talk about in general, overall, what really aggravated me and, and really made me mad. Like I, I actually, by the end of act one during intermission, I was sitting there mad. And it had been a while since I had felt that. I was I was really disappointed in what was happening on stage. And the reason for that is, to me, again, this is just my opinion, but it did not, the show had no idea what it was, what it was trying to be. And it was so unbelievably inconsistent with going back and forth between, is this, a show that's uh, that is similar in tone to a theme park show for an audience full of five-year-olds, or is this a piece of theater we're trying to elevate to a Broadway stage and really tackle some of the the deeper themes in it within the world of fun entertainment? And the balance between those two were so off, and because it it was like Jekyll and Hyde, every other scene it kept. It, it, it couldn't decide which one it was. Even within a single scene, it would try to do both of those. And it also flopped at both of those. And so that's what was making me so mad as I was going through it, because it felt like the show was not respecting its audience and wasn't respecting itself. Either of those paths are fine. I've done, a, I've done tons and tons of theater of my life. I've done plenty of shows where the goal is, this is for kids. This is for a younger audience. Great. I've had a blast doing those shows, but you know what you're doing. You know what it is. We're all on the same page. We know we're putting this together for an audience of mainly five to 10 year olds. Great. That's fine. Or are we doing something like we're really trying to elevate it as a piece of theater, especially when you try to take an hour and a half cartoon and turn it into a two and a half hour piece of theater. That is different. But this show was was playing out like something I would see on a cruise ship or a theme park. And I don't say that as insulting. I have 
tons of students that have done amazing work in theme parks and cruise ships, but that is a different level and that's a different type of entertainment. It's a different type of tone. And even when it was doing that, it wasn't doing it well. So the, you know, 70% of the show, in my opinion, was trying to gear it to a five-year-old, but they didn't do it well. Like it wasn't even as good as when I, what I've seen in theme parks, <laughs> like yeah. the jokes were, it was, yeah. Can you offer a few examples of what that what that looks like in terms of so, down? So, yeah, so so much emphasis was on joke, 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 one liner, one liner, but don't bum puns, that horrible dad jokes. Like, and I get that the movie has that sort of sensibility, humor, but it would if it felt like to me the script was so. Like they cared more about the ridiculous dumb jokes than what the point of the scene was. And half of the dumb jokes didn't even land. There were so many times where someone would say clearly like a really dumb, silly, funny dad joke for a five-year-old and uh, hardly anyone laughed. There was clever humor and there was great stuff too, but there was so much emphasis on joke, 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 like trying to be an SNL skit. And my issue with that is, again, if you're going to do that, make it consistent, make the jokes good. I love watching SNL, but you can't act like that's our main goal and then do it badly and have bad jokes, but then try to slip in moments of drama and like really adult themes and, and all in one scene. And you're not going to do either one really well. Like there would be scenes, there was one scene that drove me so bananas <laughs> with Hercules. And again, the actor did his job. Like he, he did what his script and music told him to do, but I couldn't stand it within one scene, one singular scene. Hercules goes from a super, it's a scene with Meg, a super awkward, like 10 year old boy who doesn't know how to flirt. And is so like, like, Oh my gosh, girls and cooties and literally like, um, waving his legs when when she's trying to flirt with him and he's like a 10 year old middle schooler with flirty saying these horrible dumb one-liner jokes and then he immediately transitions like a few pages later into super cocky super sexy thirst traps full of swagger third year old showing off his muscles and just like the epitome of coolness swagger it, it it drove me insane and it was, who are we? And then he would also then have a scene where he has this emotional breakdown and is in tears and is giving like a Shakespearean monologue about existentialism and who, who I am is something like right out of Les Mis. But because it would go from one to the other very awkwardly, none of them landed. So when you were trying to be silly Hercules for a five-year-old, the, the, the humor just wasn't that funny. Like, it, it just wasn't. There are good, like, pain, pain and Panic were fantastic at delivering dumb, silly jokes. But I laughed out loud with them. Hercules ones weren't good, so I'm not laughing when he's trying to be funny. And then I don't buy when he instantly is now this 30-year-old cocky man full of tons of sex and swagger. Because I just saw him as a boy 30 seconds ago. So I don't buy that. And then when you want me to now buy him as an emotionally, like, I'm supposed to be moved to tears by this monologue and song. 
I don't, I feel nothing because I just saw him as an awkward 10 year old and then a thirsty sex truck. Like so it was so confusing. It, it almost the tone was awful. <laughs> I'm going to say that was, that was my biggest concern. It, it almost begs the question, like, are, were the, the folks, you know, involved who were involved in writing the book and, and, and developing this narrative just completely uh, a mixed bag in terms of what they wanted out of the show, especially if you're saying this from scene to scene, it's not even where there's a natural progression over the course of the whole no. show. It was the whole show because it, again, you have to know what you're doing. And if you're going to do something that just lean into it. So if it's going to be, we're going to, we're going to make this a buffoonery and zany and just like an SNL thing. Fine. But be, be consistent with them. But if, if, you're just going to have a show that leads with jokes. They better be good jokes. They better like be really funny. You know, I mean, there's things like Book of Mormon, where it's two and a half hours of just nothing but ridiculous stupidness on stage. But it, you still have to do stupid humor very intelligently. And so much of it wasn't that. And I'm just someone that I come from the school of like, I want a story, whether it's comedy or drama the story has to be something I care about, right? Like the best, the best comedies, even if they're silly, you still, there's still an arc. There's still a storyline. And it felt like they kept tripping over themselves. Every scene was just centered around yuck, 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 choke, choke, choke. And then splattering in, oh, wait, what's the story? Oh, wait, why should we care about these people? And the story of Hercules has a lot, to navigate. That's why I was expecting if you're going to take an hour and a half film and then expand it into a two and a half hour production, possibly with eyes set on Broadway, then you expect it to be like some of those other ones, like Newsies and Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, the ones that have been really successful. Yes, they're very Disney. Yes, they've got really funny, silly moments and, and fun humor that five-year-olds love, but they still keep their eyes on the prize. They still know what they are, and it's still a show that respects itself. Even in the moments of zaniness, it's still doing it in an intelligent way that respects itself and the audience. And this doesn't do that. Those shows have a great storyline that you want to care about the character, so then you'll laugh out loud when silly humor comes because you're invested in the story. This production of Hercules, it was they just want you to love it because it's just joke, 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 and not care remotely about what's happening, I'll say story-wise. So then when it gets to a moment every now and then, like once every three or four scenes, there's supposed to be a moment that, we're, that we are supposed to care about what's happening on stage, but we haven't earned it. So like Hercules, one of the new, I, when it comes to the music, I also didn't love most of the new songs. I, I just felt they were really weak songs. They, they didn't work they didn't drive the the plot forward or i thought they weren't a great sound which is awful because i love Halloween, right um meg's new song is uh w good i like her new song she has a song called forget about it i don't think it's the strongest like it, it could have been stronger especially how it ends but it is a good song what's the um, flavor and of the song is at the end what's the tone um it's very much sort of it's upbeat it's it's her introduction song it's the first time we see her and, and it's her basically 
she doesn't go too much into her story, but it's upbeat about, you know, like, I don't need a man. Men are going to disappoint you. It sets up her attitude, her, uh, her cynic attitude, um, her sarcasm. Like, it sets up her personality without diving too much into her story, because later on that comes about. Um, but, but it's a solid, solid song. Um, Hercules, at the very end of the show, gets this really beautiful ballad. Like, if you just listen to it, it's a beautiful ballad. It's called, I think it's called To Be Human. And it's, you know, it's supposed to be this beautiful thing of, like, what does it mean to arrive at feeling like, you know, we as humans, if we accept that we're going to die one day, that we're mortals, even if life is short, it's still worth living. It's not how long you get to live, but how you get to live. Because he's deciding, do I want to be an immortal god or stay on Earth and be mortal? But I've learned to love what it means to have a human life. But nothing about that song was moving because by the time we got to that song, we hadn't earned that at all whatsoever. Like we had not had any sort of emotional journey. And so I felt bad for him singing this on stage because it's a gorgeous song and it should have been an incredible song that like moves people to tears. But I was looking around and it's like, no one, no one cares. No one cares because you just jumped to the, the climax of the emotion of the message, but we haven't had any journey there. We haven't earned it. And then right after that, it's the big finale and the muses are on stage and singing the star is born. It's this huge thing. And I felt so bad for them. So their, their choreography is trying to get the whole audience clapping with them and the whole cast is on stage like to the audience trying to get them to clap and hardly anyone in the audience was clapping with them. like you could just feel the audience feeling deflated and i was listening to a lot of conversations those people were walking out and you could just tell the audience had so much energy when it when the, it first started when the show started it was uproar and when the muses first come out to be in the show it's just hoot and hollering people had so much energy by the end of the show there was no we did not want to clap along we did not want to laugh at jokes we did not want to cry at anything serious we were just waiting for the show to be over and i heard a lot of that as people walking out and i hadn't experienced that in a while of le legitimately filling a whole theater of people spiraling from the height of huge excitement to is this show over yet and which i hate i hated that feeling because you don't want that and i don't want that from hercules and so all the little nitpick things that i didn't like you know the costumes were really uh, silly and didn't make a lot of sense i didn't like a lot of the music stuff that they added um I, I, the script drove me absolutely bananas but all of that stems from the same thing of it doesn't know what it is. And I don't know if that's the director's fault, the scriptwriter's fault, the team, because you had an amazing cast and they did what you told them to do on stage, but there was no consistency and there was nothing in it that was respecting its own self. Right. What, and now shifting a little bit to the music, you, you made it, you referenced a few examples, the new additions, um, it looks like there were about 10, 12 new songs thereabouts. Um, how did they feel in, from the standpoint of fitting within the, I don't know, how, how should I put it, like the musical structure of Hercules? Did, did it feel, did, did the, other than the fact that 
to be human didn't feel earned, for instance, from a tone standpoint um, or, or a musical structure standpoint, did it feel consistent with with the notion of Hercules and, of, and how, how Minkin scored it? Yeah. All of the songs that were added, I agreed with every, I agreed with what the purpose was supposed to be for each one. So this was an example of how you said a little while ago that you, you get annoyed when you feel like a song isn't furthering the story. Every new song was in a place that needed a song. Like, yes, this scene needs this type of thing to help the story. But what was written just for me, in my opinion as a musician, just fell flat a lot. Um, one thing, too, that they did, because, again, it, it sort of goes with the tone. If you're going to have something that is very uh, flashy and it's all about, the, like, uh, almost like a Vegas show, then arrange the music like that. But so many of the songs either were short, like... Uh, like you said, oh, it looks like from the program, they added tons of stuff. Some of those things that they list in the program as an actual song, like what's it called? Phil's Soul Spot. That is not a song. That was like a 20 second jingle that he half sang. Like that is not a song, but you're listing it in the program as a song. And there were other songs that they would start strong, but they had a weird tone and they didn't have a great ending with a a nice button and like even the songs it it felt like they got the homework assignment of we need this type of song for this scene to help this part of the plot but it felt like something that was rushed and it wasn't smart music and it wasn't great music and again the music was also inconsistent too of what the tone was and then the muses they're they are by far the the music catapult um, you know, Hades ha sings a couple of times. Hercules only sings a couple of times. Meg only sings a couple of times. I mean, the, from the music journey, it's all about the music. But 90% of what they did was Gospel Truth Part 1, Gospel Truth Part 2, Part 3, Part 4, Part 5, Part 6. And the more they kept doing Gospel Truth, the the in my opinion, the worse the arrangements got of it too. So it's the same thing of if you're going to reprise the same a song six seven times like make it there has to be a reason for it beyond just and now we're just going to change the lyrics to talk about what this part of the story is and as the muses came on and on they went more from being these angelic celestial spiritual sophisticated fun like what gospel really is gospel is fun but gospel has a serious history and has like weight to it and then they kind of became more like toys like funny sidekicks like pain and panic um they started to do weird costume changes they came out and spent three scenes in like 1980s exercise like jane fonda exercise videos doing weights and stuff and and, and by the end of it it felt like they got reduced to just we need five women of color to come out on stage and just well and just do a lot of ah, like that kind of stuff. And of course they sound great on it, but to me that it's becoming like, you're almost making fun of that type of music. Like you're making fun of gospel. You're making fun of the quote unquote stereo stereotypical black woman that just goes on stage and wails a bunch of ahs and o's. Um, 
Like it felt like you you had this incredible chorus of black women on stage that were doing fantastic vocal things. And it started off very strong with them having a lot to work with. And then it just felt like every time they came on stage, they got a little more diluted into, oh, you're the funny, sassy friend that just comes out and does a couple of wails and does the neck roll and the attitude. And, and it just felt like they got reduced to to musical stereotypes that that weren't even that good but it wasn't because they weren't good it's because what the script and music allowed them to be it felt like they kept getting more and more trapped under the weight of like the stereotype of what you're supposed to be as the the black women gospel choir versus what you could be Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah, yeah. And, you know, I want you to kind of harken back to you describing how the music was written. When you're saying that, are you referring to, I, I know you talked about arrangements, but what about just from a, a lyrical standpoint? Um, in general, the lyrics were, were good. Um, I think when I had issues with the music, it was, I didn't feel like the arrangements were strong. I felt like the presentation of the music didn't fit. Um, the, oh, uh, Phil. Phil gets a big song. Um, so he gets one last hope, and then he also gets his big opener. Phil's music is very much changed to fit his personality. And this was another thing that it's like, I get what you're trying to do, but I don't like how you're executing it. They turn Phil because Phil is not a, a half goat, half man, like center, um, like he is in the film. So in this version, Phil, so again, this goes with the tone when you asked me about set and I said, well, when it's set in Greece, I liked it. But when the, once they start introducing Phil, they make part of the humor of like sort of how the genie can be kind of timeless and make jokes at a present day and he just sort of lives out of time. They kind of did that with Phil. So we've set up that we're in ancient Greece and, you know, we've seen uh, Hercules and his mom and, and columns and togas and sandals. Like it's ancient Greece. And then we get to Phil and Phil's story is he owns a, a jazzy nightclub with electric lights and an electric microphone. And he's wearing a, a, a cheap looking tracksuit that is very modern with a big gold zipper down the middle. And he's in sneakers and like, it's it, and it's not like a, a fun wink wink nod nod like he's a trainer like for Rocky. It's just so ridiculous and wow. and doesn't make sense. And Thebes and Thebes is like Vegas, and his club has big neon lights. And of course, one of them isn't working and broken. But because that's his character, all of Phil's music is very soul and jazzy and R and B. So that I did like. I they they made One Last Hope a lot more. Um, like funk R&B soul music and it worked well and he performed it really well. But because that was when we get introduced to him, I couldn't enjoy the song, even though I could, my ears and brain could tell this is good. This is a nice change because of what I was seeing. And I, it made no dang sense to me what they were doing with him on the stage. So I couldn't enjoy the song, even though the song was actually good. And then he gets a big, he's the big opener for act two. And it's very much like a friend like me kind of showstopper number, but just him on stage. But again, it was hard to appreciate it because I was annoyed with what they were doing with the character. 
he performs it well and it's a big soulful ballad i think it's called what's it called i want i'm back and it's a big showstopper um but he gets a lot of stage time that song had two reprises like you think it's over and he goes off stage and then he comes back on for an encore and then he comes back on again for an on and so there were some times where a scene felt endlessly long but then moments that they needed to focus on to actually make a story they didn't focus on at all um and hercules mom she gets a really lovely song called uh, a lullaby and she's a she's a really really great character and they you she's a big part of his setup and then you never see her again and doesn't like doesn't even mention her until the very end of the show she comes back on stage to say like two lines and again i was then why are we going to spend why are you going to spend time why are you going to spend 10 minutes building up this new character and this beautiful relationship with his mom and she gets a really beautiful lovely song and then we're supposed to not care about her after that which was crazy to me um and the costumes, the the gods, the the costumes were a mixture of like Phil, who is very much obviously present day, and it makes no sense with what they're doing. Hercules is in a toga, but also white, very clearly modern, like white sneakers. But everyone else is in sandals. But Meg is in leather, like a leather jacket. And the gods, because they also introduce new gods. They have the god of fertility, and the god of love, and the god of the sea, and the god of the air, and the god of the land. And their costumes look so cheap and fake. Like they look like a Halloween costume you would get from Walmart, you know? Um, like it's just, I can't, I, I can't explain how disappointed I was. I was so shocked that a, this team who is, like I said, I read every bio in the program. This is a very talented team of people with with amazing accomplishments. And I don't understand how that show got to that. Like, how is this what is on the stage right now when that is the team behind it? I couldn't understand it. It felt like something that a high school put together in a week. And And again, I'm not saying these things as insults. I have done so many shows with very cheap looking costumes and very silly, dumb jokes. And, but again, you're selling it like, you know, that's what you're doing. You're doing it on purpose. But this, like, not only does that not belong on Broadway, but I was like, this doesn't even belong at Paper Mill. This is bad. Like, this is bad. And no one in this room is rooting for this more than me. I'm not approaching this like a cynic. I want this to be so good because the music is fantastic and there's fantastic characters. But I just, like, you don't care about anyone. You don't care about Hercules. Meg is the only one. The reason I say Meg was great, not just because she has a good song. Meg has a big monologue in Act 2. And she is the only one that did a great job of her monologue starts and she has her silly joke, joke, joke stuff. But then as the monologue goes, it slowly gets more and more serious and more and more serious. So by the end, it's like an adult giving an adult monologue about the weightiness of the subject matter. And that monologue she gives was great. And as an actress, she seamlessly did. And I remember sitting at the end of the monologue and thinking, well, if you can do that there, you just proved you could do that for the show. Because that monologue, she was perfect at handling both the, the silly funness and 
the seriousness. Why should we give a crap about these people, especially for two and a half hours? So if she can do it in that one monologue, you could have done it with the show because there's so much to navigate with Hercules. And I really thought to expand it, you would expand it by diving more into the story, not just expanding the dad jokes for right. two and a half hours. Well, and it sounds like you know, from, there's so yeah, much so, stuff. It sounds like from what you're saying too, that was one of the rare instances of a co- relatively cohesive scene or monologue, as opposed to other instances that just diverged considerably over the course of a few minutes. Yeah. If I, if I was in charge, <laughs> what I would want to see more of, if you're going to expand it to that big of a story and the characters you did add, like I said, like the mom character, when she was on stage, which is only the beginning, she was phenomenal. She was a great character. Um, like I, like Newsies does a good job of having really silly moments and it is very quirky and you can laugh out loud, but it takes itself very seriously. Right. And I just saw Lion King again for um, uh, uh, this past week. And I've seen it multiple times, but it's been a little bit since the last time I've seen it. And I had forgotten, like there are tons of moments of really silly stuff and silly gags and stuff that, that are just, you know, fun for funness, but the show takes itself seriously. Hercules, I would want that because the story itself is actually a really, it's a very heartwarming story and it's an epic story. And Greek mythology takes itself very seriously. Greek mythology is is very serious stuff. And so you can have Hercules and it can be fun, but you have to, fun only feels earned, especially in like a Broadway setting when it's, what's elevating the funness is the underlying investment of the story. And Hercules, and like I said, this, uh, I feel so bad for the actor, because there are a couple of scenes that they try to give Hercules something very serious, like he gets a very dramatic monologue and a very serious song, but we don't care about it because we haven't earned it, even though he does a good job trying to sell it. But you have this character where uh, every person in his life that he cares about, he feels like he's not enough for, right? So you have gods, and he interacts, he interacts a lot with Hera and Zeus throughout it. So he's not godly enough for them but so it's like he has to give up his human side for them his mom they have this sweet relationship and she gets so scared just how much the town hates him because of how different he is then it's also like he has to hide that part of himself he needs to be more human for her meg is completely done with men and he doesn't know how to be a man to her because he's trying to be what he thinks a man is supposed to be to her and he has Hades who wants to use him and take advantage of him and Phil only initially invested in him because of what Phil can get out of it as like street cred of being a trainer. So it's like you have this guy who's wrestling existentially with, I can't be all of myself to anyone in my life who loves me. Therefore, does anyone in my life truly love me because I'm only a portion of myself to them. And at the same time, Meg has a very, very hefty, like she gives up her life for another person and she feels like she makes the wrong, she makes the biggest sacrifice of her life and it was the wrong sacrifice. And what kind of weight does that come with? And then, you know, the whole journey of Hercules learning what does it mean to be a hero? Oh, and another thing they did in the script, go along with that, the moments where they tried to be smart and clever 
they try to throw in every now and then lines to to sort of prove like see we're 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 giving commentary on smart things so like one example of that is during a scene with the greek townspeople um in the middle of all these dumb dad joke 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 joke, joke then all of a sudden the people will also be like we don't need a hero. We need clean drinking water and we need pay equality for men and women here. And we need that. And it was very much infused political commentary. And of course, what they're saying is not like, yes, it's good stuff. We should agree on as humans, but the way it was just interjected was so fake and so pushed. And so like, we're going to earn political points here and to bookend them with dumb jokes right so again it's like you're making fun of it so you're gonna you're gonna try to have commentary about a real hero isn't muscles a real man is someone who votes for pay equality and clean drinking water for people in a dying village but you're gonna say that right after a dumb five-year-old joke and then immediately go to another five five five-year-old dumb joke like then you just completely miss the point of it (laughs) you know and Zeus and Hera have a couple of lines about, like, you're trying to be a celebrity. Why do humans think being celebrity is what being a hero is? Which the message of that is strong, but the way they do it is so interjected as like, a, oh, look how clever we are for pointing this out. Yeah. It's just, you, know, you know what I mean? I'm- there was a lot of stuff to navigate there about what does it mean to be a hero and what does it mean to to be loved in wrong ways and right ways. And Hercules goes from a journey from how do I get everyone in my life to love me for who I am? How do I love myself? And part of the journey is I earn love all the wrong ways. And how do I get myself out of that? And then that's what it means to discover humanity. But you can't have those little plot points covered up with dumb silliness that makes no sense and feels like a complete waste of time. It felt like in two and a half hours, maybe 10 minutes of it was actually built on. We Here's a really interesting story that we want to make you think about to evaluate what does it mean to be a human and to be alive. And that's what Hercules could be, especially if you want it to be a Broadway show. You have to elevate it to a piece of art. And you can still keep all the silliness and zaniness of it, but it can still be art that says something and not just how many dad jokes can we fit into a script. Right. It sounds like there were a lot of missed opportunities um, in terms of not only tone, but also, uh, you know, the, some of the social commentary that you allude to. Like, I think the ex- existential crisis that you're referencing would have been really fascinating to to expand on. But if it's in the context of pure absurdity and inconsistency, then it, it would be very... Uh, unsatisfying for for the viewer matt what are your as we wrap up what are your general takeaways from the production are there other negatives or or topics that you haven't explored so far i would i want them to keep working on it even though it was in my opinion like just the complete opposite direction of what they should have done with it i i think there was so much potential because again it has a great story It has a great story to be something serious that can be elevated 
while also having really funny characters. Because that's what Disney is supposed to be able to do. That's what Disney is supposed to be great at. Having stories that are elevated to genuine pieces of art while also making it fun and entertaining. And they've proven over and over they can do that. This was not it. They need to go back and I hope that they go back and work on this. And I would love to see a version a few years later where they did the complete opposite. Instead of leading with what is the most silly zaniness we can throw on stage and then try to infuse a couple of things that give it heart, focus on a story that has heart in it that then you sprinkle along the fun silliness. Um, Because then it gives everyone a purpose. So many scenes felt endlessly long because there wasn't a purpose, right? If the muses are going to be metaphors for how we comment on life, that's art. If the muses are just going to be people to come out and roll their necks and wail and snap and say, you go, girl, like five or six times, then you're just reducing them to set pieces in a stereotypical way that in 2023, we're supposed to be better than that. Um, Hades, I love Hades as a villain. I hated Hades in the show. Hades did nothing. They, the whole personality of Hades from the film is that he's a smooth talker and he can talk his way out of any situation. He can talk anyone into anything because he's very charismatic and very smart with his words and sharp with his words. This Hades was not that at all. The script has Hades. Uh, again, he gets his own song. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was a very boring song. It has no personality. Hades doesn't have any of the what made him what the essence of that villain is. And it's not just mimic James Wood, but that's the way that villain was written, right? Just like, you know, every Disney villain has their own personality. That's what Hades is. So then why wouldn't you lean into that at all? So Hades, every time he's on stage, it's either with Meg, Pain, or Panic, and he completely gets overshadowed by them because Meg, Pain, and Panic were fantastic. So it's like, Hades was also extremely disappointed. Not the actor, but the role. It's like you don't you're not leaning into anything that he's famous for. Um so I just think everything needs to be reworked. Um in my opinion, the the two songs that are worth keeping are the uh, To Be Human and the Forget About It. Um I do think there are the arrangement of forget about it could be stronger in the last half from a music perspective. And there are a couple of lyric lines and um, to be human that I thought were a little too cheesy. Um, if you're wanting this to be like the anthem, like the heartbeat of the show. Um, but yeah, I think they need to go. I would start with the script because you can't really fix some of the music stuff until the script is there. And I, my opinion is it needs to just be tossed away and just completely start all of them. And I really hate saying that because I don't like when critics say that and I'm not normally this cynical. Like, you know me, I'm always the one to praise a movie when critics don't like it. Um, and I came in this with so much expectation. But if you're, if it's going to be meant for a Broadway stage one day or high-level theater, it needs to get changed. If it's just going to be an hour-long cruise ship show, then it's fine. Because there were parts of it that that genuinely I laughed out loud at. Some of the music sounds amazing. If you want it to be that, fine. If you want it to just be an hour long junior version that uh, you know middle schools can license to perform, fine. But if you want this to actually be a piece of theater that that is going to join the canon of other 
Broadway style shows, it needs to, I, it needs to just completely start from scratch. And I would start with the script. That entire script, in my opinion, needs to be rewritten. And you, and as you write each page, you need to focus on what is the point of this? What is the story? And it can't be the joke is what carries us to the next page. It has to be the story. And then if that, if the character is good and the story is good, then the jokes just come naturally. And then the jokes are funny and fine. Yeah, it sounds like that. One, one quick question um, before we wrap up. Interpretations of Zero to Hero, I Won't Say I'm in Love, and Go the Distance. Those are the three tentpole songs, so to speak. Um, I'm not discrediting mm-hmm. gospel truth, but in terms of what people are more inclined to, to Parts sing, one through seven. Parts one through seven. <laughs> but in terms of the three main signature songs from the film, I would imagine to be those three. Mm-hmm. New, uh, what are your general interpretations of those? Yeah. Um, Go the Distance was was great, and he sang it great. Again, I think it would work better if we're more emotionally invested in it when he sings it. The actor performed it great. The arrangement was was perfect, and it sounds gorgeous. Um, so that one, I, and same thing with I Won't Say I'm in Love. That one was great, um, and those two were very much exactly what you what you think they would be like they're from the movie and they don't really mess with it, which is smart. So those two songs are wonderful. It's just, again, we don't really care about go the distance that much because you haven't set up Hercules to be someone we care about. And when we get to, I won't say I'm in love, Meg and Hercules have had like one and a half scenes together and half this, the flirting is so awkward because he's acting like a five-year-old. So it's those songs sound great. Like if they ever recorded a soundtrack, those songs sound fantastic. It's just the the earning those songs didn't work for me. Zero to Hero, you know, Zero to Hero is my favorite, my single favorite song of any Disney song in the canon. I think Zero to Hero is just a phenomenal song. Um, I got really aggravated that the first half, and, and uh, Disney has done this before where I get mad, where they mess with tempos a little bit. And it was, uh, to me, it was under tempo. They slowed it down. Um, You've heard my spill about how they did that with Prince Ali in Aladdin, and I thought it just completely sucked all of the life out of the song. Prince Ali, I felt that way about Zero to Hero. Both, both, both friendly from the original, from the original tempo, especially Prince Ali. Prince Ali, Um, okay, like the tempo changed, right? So Zero to Hero, it's not slow, but it's the first half is not as fast as is in the film, and I think it needs that fast tempo to give the the energy so it was fun the women performed it sang the heck out of it and the choreography was fun but the tempo was just like 10 notches too slow for me and so it took the the like the the anxious excitement that moved it forward now it felt like it dragged and kind of each measure leaned back in itself instead of being propelled forward but then when it gets to the last half when it when it goes into double time and it's like, oh, yeah, um, that was good. Um, but <laughs> the one thing that also made me mad about Zero to Hero is again, the tone is so weird in it where they, they do Zero to Hero and then Hercules is supposed to have this really like super serious, gut wrenching, you know, very sad monologue and he's like trying to cry in tears. And that in itself is awkward because we haven't earned that at all. Like you were just a five-year-old the scene before. But then 
that gets interrupted with Zero to Hero coming back. And so it's like the lead in to this big dramatic Hercules is supposed to be this big dramatic like Les Mis moment is awkward because we don't earn it. And then it's even more awkward. And it's like the show says, oh, this didn't really matter. Because then they just cut it off to come back to do Zero to Hero. So then we can't enjoy the ending of Zero. Uh, we. I should say me. I can't then enjoy the ending of Zero to Hero because you just brought the song to a screeching halt with this super dramatic moment with Hercules that is not emotionally touching my heart at all because we haven't led up to it and we haven't earned it. And then you go back to Zero to Hero, and I'm still on the train of what did I just see Hercules try to do? And he's bawling his eyes out on the stage, and I can't enjoy Zero to Hero now. Like it was. <sighs> Brett, it just needs to start all over. <laughs> I, I would, if I was a producer, I would put money into it and just like start the whole thing over. Because I think there's so much potential. I would love to see it hit a Broadway stage. I don't want it to go away. I just want it to be good and to do what it can be and for disney to know what it can be matt i have uh, one final question for you how do you really feel <laughs> i feel so bad saying all this because i'm really not a cynic and i really I am the person that tries to defend everything i defend a lot of shows and a lot of movies people don't like and again i knew this was not going to be perfect I was expecting some things to be like, oh, that's some kinks I got to work out. I wasn't expecting that the entire essence of what the whole foundation of the show was what was wrong with it. Because then you, it, you, it's just like trying to fix anything else with just a bunch of band-aids. Trying to fix a number or a costume or a joke or a monologue, that's just wallpaper dressing. Like what was wrong with it was the entire foundation of the whole thing they were doing because then you can't appreciate the little stuff if the whole tree is rotting who cares what the branches are like you know and so that's that's what i feel but i am interested to see what they do with it because i don't yeah. know what their goal is i really thought it was meant to like try out for potential broadway one but if i didn't know that i would have walked into this thinking like oh this was just to license for middle schoolers to do through MTI, which again is fine. And I've done those shows, but, and if, if that's what I thought I was walking into, then it'd be like, oh great, this will be super cute for 12 year olds to do. But I walked in assuming I was about to see a show that Disney had put a lot of time and money and prestige team into for a potential, you know, like let's try to see how, how high we can elevate this show. And if that's what the goal is, they need to start all over. If the goal is just to have a fun show that high schools and middle schools can license, then fine, keep it. It's full of funny right. gags. Right. Well, I'm glad you had the experience. I'm disappointed I didn't get to see it, and I'm disappointed the outcome wasn't quite aligned with the expectations and ultimately the quality that we expect from this team of folks. But it will be indeed fascinating to see yeah. how it moves forward. Yeah, I wish you could have seen it because I would have loved to senior interpretation i have enjoyed reading the the critiques and i really did stand outside and listen for like 15 minutes of people leaving so i wanted to just see like is this just me am i just having a bad night am i just in a bad mood or something was this really great and uh, you know sadly it did seem like a lot of us were in everyone i overheard were mumbling very bad comments <laughs> about it of how disappointed they were 
it. Well, let's hope. So I, that do, I don't think it was just me. No, and I, and I sense that as well. And 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 I remember you indicating that the reviews were mixed slash tepid, um, and perhaps your your feelings were even more uh, strongly negative than what you read yourself. But let's hope there's some reworking for this production. Um, certainly, uh, you, you can't always uh, you can't always have a win and. And it, and this is where there's an opportunity between now and and Germany to to make some significant tweaks. Matt, um, before we wrap up, how yeah. can how can listeners uh, follow your work? Uh, you have a few books that, including one of which that uh, I have interviewed you uh, you about. Uh, we we talked all about yeah. Cool Cats and a Hot Mouse a, a little while ago, but please point readers uh-huh. or please point listeners to how they can become <laughs> readers of your work. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I promise not everything I do is this cynical. I normally love, love praising stuff. Um, yeah, if you go to my website, matthodge.com, that's where you can see a lot of my work. Like I said, I'm a professor and I also write a lot. Um, my two recent books, Cool Cats and a Hot Mouse, The History of Jazz and Disney, where I celebrate the the. the constant marriage between the world of Disney and the world of jazz and how they built each other up as they came into existence. Um, and then I have a, uh, my second book was uh, Gotham City Sounds, the music of Batman villains, which is where I go in and really celebrate how composers have approached how do you write music for Batman villains in, in really fun ways. Um, so those were, were fun. And then I've written um, quite a few chapters for different like academic books that you can see on the website. And they all deal with movies and theater and storytelling. Um, so I, I love this stuff and I love praising things and really finding the great uh, in, in things. So that's why Hercules hurt my heart because I knew I was going to have to come on here and kind of bash it when I'm usually the king of, you know, my students will test you. I always find something like, this is what we should celebrate about this show. So maybe that will happen. I want that to happen. And the cast should still be proud of themselves. If I saw the cast, I would tell them that. Like, they still worked their butts off. They displayed immense amount of talent. It's not easy to get up and sing a dance and act for two and a half hours. So the cast should still be proud of the work ethic. They had great work ethic on stage. None of none of my gripes are their fault at all. It's just the crew and the behind-the-scenes uh, folks that are, that are worth yes. uh, getting uh, some some critical feedback matt thanks for joining the podcast and uh always always enjoy your interpretations and i'm glad now i finally have context to what you were sharing with me the night of when you were talking in these big abstracts (laughs) and not offering concrete information so thank you for for elaborating tonight yes thank you so much i hope that like five years from now i get to come back on this podcast and we we're talking about hercules in the most amazing ways i'm like oh my god this show is so good it's so good that's my dream. Yeah. Well, we all know that that certain products can take unexpected turns. Newsies, Newsies is definitely the uh, crown jewel in that, in terms of yeah. a, a movie that was panned 20 years later, it becomes a, a huge smash, um, even though it was intended to be a limited run and ultimately is one of the most yeah. beloved Disney productions. So you know what? Perhaps we'll see the same path for for Hercules in, in a different way. So time yeah. will tell. Theater is great. It's all it's all live people trying to do great things together. I mean, I've been a part of, of 
shows that were wonderful and part of shows of like, oh God, we could have done that a lot better. But that's the beauty of live theater and that I will always love that. Even if something feels like a failure for live theater, at least we tried and we're still working on it because it's humans doing something live, which is never going to be perfect. That's the beauty of storytelling on a stage. And that's a beautiful note to end on after a whole hour and a half of critical feedback. <laughs> Matt, thanks waiting. for coming on. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And thank you again to Matt for joining me on Notably Disney to discuss the strengths and weaknesses and everything in between with Hercules. It seems like it was a show that had its mix of problems and missed opportunities, but all hope is not lost. Uh, certainly we know uh, Phil's song is uh, one last hope, and just because of it not necessarily uh, firing on all cylinders doesn't mean that it may not have uh, a, a good life and future. We'll see what the Germany production is like uh, when it premieres next year, uh, even if not in person, but we'll certainly read the reviews and follow what's happening and see if there is the potential to transform it to a, a point to where it may make the a Great White Way on Broadway. So we shall see. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at Reports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N Reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.